Welcome to this podcast from the Video Journal of Hematological Oncology. Today, we will be talking to leading experts in the field of CAR-T therapy and asking how effective it can be in treating CLL. Our first guest is Jordan Gauthier from the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Centre in Washington. Jordan, can you tell us about your research into the use of obrutinib in combination with CD19 CAR-T cells to treat relapsed or refractory CLL? Already a large amount of effort has been dedicated to uh, the use of CD19 CAR T cells for patients with relapsed or refractory CLL. And this approach uh, using CAR T cells alone can achieve high response rates, although the rates of complete response by IWCLL criteria um, is still lower than what has been historically reported, in particular in patients with large B cell lymphoma or acute fibroblastic leukemia. Yet, this approach can lead to deep responses by flux cytometry or more sensitive assays like NGS. Despite these promising anti-tumor effects, we do encounter some, um, some significant toxicities and a um, significant proportion of patients such as cytokine release syndrome and neurologic toxicity or ICANS to try to really improve on this uh, um, on these results and improve outcomes. Several groups, including ours, have been um, investigating the combination of vibrutinib concurrently with CD19 CAR T cells. So I'll spend um, some time today um, going through our data that we've uh, published last year in blood um, using a combination of CAR T cells with vibrutinib. So first, what would be the rationale to combine vibrutinib uh, with CAR T cell therapy? We would want to prevent a tumor flare that is often observed after vibrutinib discontinuation. We'd like to help mobilize cellular cells uh, from the lymph nodes into the blood and the bone marrow, potentially making them more accessible to CAR-mediated killing. And uh, critically, we'd like to uh, potentially reverse or improve the T-cell function and ultimately CAR T-cell function. And based on some urine data, uh, we also uh, hypothesized that we could potentially uh, reduce or mitigate cytokine release syndrome. So on this uh, pilot cohort, patients were scheduled to receive ipritinib at a dose of 420 milligrams per day and for starting at least two weeks prior to leukapheresis to be continued through lymphodepletion, CAR T-cell infusion for at least three months after the infusion of the cells. Um, lastly, we uh, compared this uh, cohort to patients treated previously on this phase one two study who uh, discontinued ibrutinib uh, at some point prior to leukapheresis or lymphodepletion. So we included 19 patients uh, in this 19 in each of these uh, different cohorts. The patient and disease characteristics were overall uh, comparable across these two groups, uh, aside from the tumor burden which was, as expected, lower in the patient receiving concurrent ibrutinib in terms of the pre-lymphodepletion cross-sectional tumor area, the LDH concentration, as well as the marrow uh, tumor burden. The combination of CAR T-cell with concurrent ibrutinib was well tolerated in most patients. Approximately 70% could continue on ibrutinib uh, as planned without this continuation. And we did observe one case of um, a presumed cardiac arrhythmia that led to the uh, death of one of our patients in the context of grade 2 cytokine release syndrome. In terms of efficacy, we observed in both uh, cohorts high response rates uh, that were um, numerically higher uh, using concurrent ibrutinib by IWCLL, 83% uh, compared to 56% without ibrutinib. 
we uh, also observed deep responses by IGH sequencing in the bone marrow of 85% of patients uh, with concurrent ibrutinib compared to 60% without uh, ibrutinib. In terms of the duration of response, we cannot detect a, a statistically significant differences between these uh, two cohorts. Now looking at uh, side effects and toxicity, uh, we actually found interestingly that despite these very high response rates with concurrent ibrutinib, these patients uh, experienced lower severity of CRS, the median CRS grade with concurrent ibrutinib of 1 compared to 2 uh, without uh, ibrutinib. And no patients in, with concurrent ibrutinib presented grade 3 or above CRS compared to 11% uh, without ibrutinib. In addition, we uh, did uh, note a, a numerically lower uh, percentage of patients presented any grade neurologic toxicity, 26% of patients compared to 42% of patients without ibrutinib, although this did not reach statistical significance. Interestingly, um, even though uh, these patients had um, lower CRS severity and overall lower disease burden, uh, we were expected to, expecting to see um, lower in vivo expansion of CAR T cells. But with this unexpectedly, this is not what we uh, observed, and we actually measured comparable in vivo CD8 CAR T cell expansion uh, and actually superior CD4 CAR T cell expansion in patients receiving uh, concurrent ibrutinib. And we try to understand why, and in a subset of patients with available data, we used a range of in vitro functional assays to try to uh, understand better the potential role of uh, being on ibrutinib prior to the leukapheresis. And uh, our, these correlative studies suggested potentially, um, potentially an improvement in the function of these N-manufacturing CAR T cells that presented after, re, uh, after in vitro stimulation, uh, higher proliferation, um, higher polyfunctionality, and uh, we, a higher percentage of uh, CAR T cells expressing a lower number of some inhibitory uh, receptors such as P1, TIN3, LAC3, 2P4, CD160, KLRG1, and TT, suggesting that um, the exposure to ibrutinib prior to leukophoresis could be associated with improved CAR T cell function. So in summary, um, the combination of ibrutinib with CD19 CAR T cells in CLL patients um, seems, seems to be a feasible approach that can lead to high rates of deep responses early on at four weeks. And uh, this approach may potentially decrease the severity of a CRS and um, our correlative studies and um, in vivo CAR T cell expansion data suggest that this may improve CAR T cell function as well. So what do you think are the future directions for this area of research? And there are many remaining challenges and questions that remained, remained unaddressed and unanswered. Uh, what is the impact of uh, concurrent ibrutinib on the duration of response after CAR T cell therapy in these patients? This remains unclear at this stage. Uh, could ibrutinib be used to um, boost or rescue uh, ba poor baseline T cell function or CAR T cell function in, uh, beyond CLL in other hematologic malignancies? And... Uh, could ibrutinib mitigate CRS as well using other uh, CAR T cell products, in particular this uh, using the CD28 co-stimulatory domain? Lastly, how, how can we uh, prevent or better manage uh, ibrutinib or BTK inhibitors-related arrhythmias? Thanks for that, Jordan. 
Next up, we have Tanya Siddiqui from the City of Hope National Medical Center in California. So Tanya, you've been working on the Transcend CLL004 trial. Could you give us an update on the results so far? It's a phase one, two study of lysocell. Um, patients undergo enrollment and leukophoresis. They're allowed to get bridging therapy if needed. They need to have restaging if they do get bridging therapy. And then lymphodepletion with fludarabine and cyclophosphamide for three days, followed a couple of days later by the infusion of their CAR T-cell product. Um, I'm presenting the phase one um, results with a 24-month follow-up for these 23 patients. Dr. Bill Weirda did present an early look at the combination of lysocell plus ibrutinib cohort in the 19 patients at ASH of 2020, and those results look very encouraging as well. Um, so to be eligible for this trial, patients needed to have relapsed refractory CLL. Uh, they needed to uh, have had prior BTK inhibitor therapy or be ineligible for it due to some specific reason. And they needed to have failed a total of two or three prior lines of therapy, uh, depending on whether or not they had high-risk features of their disease. Uh, a 28-day dose-limiting toxicity period was observed, and the primary objectives were safety and to determine the recommended phase two um, uh, cell dose uh, for the ongoing uh, trial. The baseline disease characteristics of these patients of the 23 phase one patients, um, uh, which were studied across two different cell dose levels, uh, median age was 66. Majority of patients had advanced stage disease and high risk features. Median prior lines of therapy was four. Everybody had had prior ibrutinib. Majority of patients had progressed on it, but a handful of patients had also been intolerant to it. Uh, and 17 of the 23 patients received bridging therapy. The 11 patients subgroup of patients who had progressed both on ibrutinib and on venetoclax, their baseline characteristics were fairly similar to the total monotherapy cohort of patients. Um, there were two dose-limiting toxicities reported uh, for patients on the dose. Well, both of those were on the dose level two um, arm and uh, both of those patients uh, recovered and, and did okay down the line. There were no delayed or um, late or unexpected uh, uh, adverse events of any concern with longer follow-up. Um, in the total monotherapy uh, group of patients, only about two patients had grade three cytokine release syndrome. There were no grade four or grade five cytokine release syndrome events. Five patients had grade three or four neurological events and of these only one was a grade four Four, the, other, the others were grade three. The subgroup of 11 patients who uh, had failed both BTK inhibitor and venetoclax or the double refractory group of patients, I'll call them um, for, from here on. Uh, those patients were fairly similar in their AE profile uh, compared to the monotherapy cohort. Uh, at the 24-month medium follow-up, we, we uh, were able to report an 82% overall response rate with 46% complete remissions. And uh, reassuringly, I guess 68% of these patients, 68% uh, uh, of the patients, 22 available patients, achieved a rapid response within the first 30 days. So at the first uh, disease assessment at day 30. Uh, a further 27% patients did deepen their response from PR to CR or SD to PR or CR, you know, down the line. Um, the responses seemed to be durable. Patients who were not double refractory, there were some long, durable, and rapid remissions in both groups of patients. But unfortunately, there were also um, about six patients who progressed with Richter's transformation 
uh, and um, or five or six patients, and majority of these were in the double refractory subgroup of patients, meaning you know showing how poor their biology of their disease, unfortunately, is. Um, I would like to point out that at 12 months, 50% patients were in response, and only two of these responders progressed beyond the beyond the 12 months. So that's highly encouraging. We took a look at uh, durability of response and progression-free survival at the 24-month median follow-up. The median um, durable duration of response for the total cohort was not reached at uh, at this median follow-up of two years, whereas um, it was 17 months for the subgroup uh, of double refractory patients, and the median progression-free survival was 18 months, whereas the um, median um, uh, progression-free survival in this double refractory subgroup was 13 months. And I can tell you, which is that patients who achieved undetectable minimal residual disease really had not, um, uh, you know, achieved or reached un uh, median uh, progression-free survival or median duration of response uh, sort of unofficially. So that is highly encouraging. It shows that undetectable MRD might be necessary, uh, as we're learning now, to maintain responses and treatment-free intervals. And so in summary, uh, Lysocell uh, elicited rapid, deep, and durable responses at the 24-month median follow-up uh, of the patients who achieved response and have more than 12 months of follow-up. Uh, most of them have maintained their response. And at seven, I'm sorry, at the 24 months uh, time point, which is the end of follow-up on this particular trial, uh, all seven patients who reached that time point seem to have maintained their response and have rolled over to the long-term follow-up study. Uh, Lysocell uh, did result in a high rate of undetectable minimal residual disease at the level of 10 to minus 4 in this heavily pretreated high-risk population of patients with relapsed refractory CLL, including those who had failed both BTK inhibitor and venetoclax therapy. There were no later delayed safety signals. The phase two uh, monotherapy expansion of the study was uh, was ongoing at the time of ASH when I presented this at dose level two, but it's now very recently completed enrollment uh, as of maybe a couple of weeks ago. And the combination cohort of uh, Lysocell plus Ibrutinib is still enrolling uh, in the expansion phase. Thanks, Tanya. That was a really interesting update. Our final guest is David Porter from the Abramson Cancer Center at the University of Pennsylvania. David, there have been some great strides in the development of treatments for CLL. Could you tell us how close you think we are to having a cure? By way of very simple and straightforward introduction, I think we all realize that patients with multiply relapsed or refractory CLL have a dismal prognosis. And there continues to be a need for newer, better, and yes, even curative therapies for CLL. We've done a fair amount of work using chimeric antigen receptor or CAR T-cells to treat patients with relapsed refractory CLL. The results of our initial pilot study that included 14 patients with relapsed refractory CAR T-cells, they were treated with our CTL-019 here at the University of Pennsylvania. This is the product that ultimately was licensed to Novartis and now marketed under the name T-cell Leclucel. When we look at our data from the first 14 patients in the pilot study, almost 60% of these patients had a response and almost 30% had a complete remission. And if you look at the outcomes, I think there are, are several important points. One is this was not effective for everybody, but when patients pro progressed or relapsed, 
it tends to happen in the first six to 12 months. And that's true in CLL, it's true in lymphoma and ALL as well after CAR T-cell therapy. But when patients do achieve a CR, remissions tend to be sustained for long periods of time and late relapses are unusual. We went on to do a second trial trying to optimize the dose uh, and administration of CAR T-cells for patients with relapsed refractory CLL. We treated an additional 19 patients at an optimal cell dose. About half the patients had an overall response and close to 40% of patients now with the optimal administration had a complete remission. And I can show you similar results. When this was effective, when patients achieved a CR, remissions tended to be sustained. You can see now out beyond five years uh, on the follow-up in this publication from back in April 2020 in the Journal of Clinical Oncology. And indeed, the vast majority of patients who are in complete remission are MRD negative. Furthermore, we now have a fairly long-term data on our CLL patients. Uh, these are data at six and eight years from the first two CLL patients we treated back in 2010, looking at deep sequencing uh, for the uh, uh, heavy chain rearrangement specific to CLL. Out at six years and eight years in these patients, there's absolutely no detectable uh, CLL cells, even by deep sequencing. We've now had the opportunity to, to evaluate these patients at 10 years, and in data uh, really analyzed by Yost Mellenhorst and others in our group, uh, we've looked at patient one and patient two at 10 years, and fascinatingly, CAR T-cells remain detectable at about 10,000 copies per microgram in the peripheral blood, 10,000 copies per microgram of, of uh, genomic DNA, even 10 years after infusion. About 0.4% of all the CD3 positive cells still remain uh, uh, CAR positive T-cells, and you can see that by PCR analysis, looking at copies per microgram of DNA, and you can see it by flow cytometry using an anti-idiotype antibody. The majority of these cells, if not all of the cells, are CD4 positive, CD8 negative T cells. So when you look at the long-term outcomes, um, our first two patients treated with CTL-019, now T-cygen-like loose cell, remain in remission beyond 10 years. Both display uh, persistence of CAR T-cells, I think the longest reported, and they're identifiable by flow or quantitative PCR. What I didn't show you is the CAR T-cells continue to maintain remission in B-cell aplasia. These patients both have B-cell aplasia, suggesting that not only are these cells uh, persistent, but they're functional. This is a measure of functional persistence. Patients cannot make normal B cells that would have CD19 on them. And the vast majority of these cells are CD4 uh, um, positive. So we started with this provocative title, CAR T cells for CLL, when can we use the word cure? Well, we know that MRD negative responses are frequent. This was shown in our data, but data from other centers as well using CAR T cells to treat CLL showed you that the majority of relapses happen within that first six to 12 months and late relapses are unusual. Yet we have many patients alive in remission well beyond 12 months and now beyond 10 years, despite having heavily pretreated relapse and refractory disease. 
We also know that combination therapies are increasing the proportion of patients achieving a deep CR. There was a talk earlier in this session on using ibrutinib and CAR T cells. We have uh, very interesting data using ibrutinib and CAR T cells as well, showing a very high proportion of MRD negative remissions. And so we tend to hedge when we talk about CLL. And I think as oncologists and leukemia doctors, we, we, we don't want to go overboard and might say CAR T cells may be curing some patients with CLL. But I would suggest we could be bolder than that. I don't think we have to qualify by saying maybe. With this data, should we say probably curing some patients? Should we say likely curing? I think it's time with data like this to be able to say that CAR T cells are curing at least some patients with CLL. Thanks for that, David. There's certainly lots to look forward to in this field. That's the last update we have for you today. So I'd like to wrap up by thanking all of our experts for taking the time to speak with us. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast on CAR-T therapy for the treatment of CLL. You can follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk to share your thoughts on the topics discussed. You can also visit VJHemonk.com for the latest updates on CAR-T, cellular therapies and much, much more in the field of hematological oncology. Finally, be sure to subscribe to VJHemonk podcasts which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbean.